0: Jeff said today's scripture lesson comes to us from Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25 in the New Living Translation so the trouble is not with the law for it is spiritual and good the trouble is with me for I'm all too human a slave to sin I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right but I don't do it instead I do what I hate But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. For I am not the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong, it is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God. Be to God. Would you pray with
1: me? God, we. We seek and we expect you to do something beyond our imagination, beyond our dreams, in each one of us today. In the name of Jesus Christ, the one who delivers us from ourselves, we pray. Amen. Of course, it was Robert Louis Stevenson who wrote that very, very famous Gothic novel that came out in 1886, entitled The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We know that story has been produced over 120 times on stage and through film. It is the story of a very respected, successful Victorian medical doctor named Dr. Jekyll. But he creates this potion. And when he drinks the potion, his dark side comes out. And his dark side is called Mr. Hyde. And when Dr. Jekyll's dark side comes out, it comes out in a very destructive, a very self destructive way. We see in this great novel that there is great torment that comes along with a divided soul. As a matter of fact, it's such a popular novel. You can go to the Merriam-Webster dictionary. You can look up, you can look up Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and uh, you will see a definition that simply says it is one having a two-sided personality, one side of which is good and the other evil. Robert Louis Stevenson believed that we are all Dr. Jekylls and Mr. Hydes. And certainly the Apostle Paul in the Christian faith believes that we're all Dr. Jekylls and Mr. Hyde's. That is the human predicament. When we want to do good, sometimes we find ourselves doing the exact opposite. Sometimes we can't do what we want to do, what we deeply and desperately want to do. We know that that road to hell is paved with good intentions. And most of us have very good intentions. But there's that inner conflict going on within us that issues forth to an outer conflict. The Apostle Paul knew that we are all walking civil wars. There is turmoil within us. There is that good that we want to do that we don't seem to do. The Apostle Paul said, you heard Eli read it, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. That is the human predicament. Excuse me, that is the human predicament. That's what it means to be human. Excuse me. That is what it means to be human. That is what it means to have that divided soul. Part of us seeks to be the better angel among us, but there's something that pulls us down. One of the classic examples of this divided human nature is uh, the great character of the Hebrew Bible, David. David we see more than once that David is referred to, King David, as a man after God's own heart. But there he is, a man after God's own heart, and we also see there in the Old Testament that he was an adulterer and a murderer, both sides of that divided soul in his life. We know the story of David. He was a man after God's own heart, but he also was An adulterer, he went after Bathsheba because he wanted Bathsheba, and then he wanted Bathsheba so badly he had her husband Uriah the Hittite killed. So there's David, a man after God's own heart and an adulterer and a murderer. That's a picture of this inner civil war that shows our behavior at times to be in conflict with what it is that we truly want I can imagine that this was the reason David prayed in what we call Psalm 86, saying, Give me an undivided heart, O God, that I may fear, reverence, respect your name. We all know of this inner civil war, unless we're just totally given to evil or unless we're just totally oblivious to goodness. We know this tension. We know this struggle. We know how our dark side seeks to prevail over our better nature. We we know this. We know the struggle of this. The Apostle Paul is being very autobiographical here in Romans chapter 7 about this conflict. Do we have to live like this? Are we condemned to this human predicament forever? Will we forever be controlled by the lower nature that resides in us? Is there any cure to this divided nature? If we're honest we all will admit that we we cannot overcome our evil tendencies just by learning more by knowledge. We can't educate ourselves into being a better person. We have read that uh, Adolf Hitler had an IQ of somewhere around 150, and the average human being has an IQ of between 85 and 114. A lot of the greatest tyrants and evil people in history have been brilliant people, very gifted people. That's why someone like a Hitler could almost bring about the conquest of Europe. So it's, it's, not, it's not a condition that can just be answered by more knowledge, better education. It's not a condition, this inner civil war, that can be answered by just self-determination, trying harder, goodwill. We all know that. We, we know about our New Year's resolutions. They usually don't last till February. We know about the latest fads and self-help programs that come down the pike and how quick we are to latch onto something like that, hoping, hoping that it will make us better. But again, knowledge, self-determination, willpower, working harder is just not the answer. And we all know that. The Apostle Paul in this text that you heard read a few moments ago, Not only displays to you his struggle, which is the human predicament, which is our struggle, he also says some really important things about the law of God. We know how we should live, mostly. The law of God, you heard Paul say twice it is good. The law of God is good. And of course, when Paul is referring to the law of God, he is referring to what we would call the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And we as Christians need to pay more attention to the law and what it means and how it, you, how it should be used and how it impacts our lives. They, John Wesley, a name you should know, was very famous for doing some masterful preaching about how the law of God and the grace of Jesus Christ goes together. And you notice that your Bible contains Old Testament and New Testament. If you're only reading the New Testament, you're you're reading an incomplete book. You need to make sure you understand the law of God. And you heard Paul here in the New Testament say the law is good. We get good knowledge from the law. We may even get a, a little good motivation from the law. The law is good because the the law does speak to us the mind of God. The law does reveal to us what it is that God calls right living. Now, one of the things that we Christians have had to come to terms with, and basically we did about 2,000 years ago because of uh, some of the Apostle Paul's writings, when you look at the law, We do hear and see the mind of God. We do hear and see what it is that God wants out of us. We see God's plan for joyful living, and somehow we get confused. We think because we're saved by grace, we're saved through faith, that somehow we can just do away with the Old Testament. Again, our earliest church fathers kept them together and told us to read both. What we have recognized over the centuries is that when we look at the law of God, where we learn how to do better, what we should do, when we look at the law of God, there's three different kinds of law there. There's ceremonial law, there's civil law. Those were done away with in Christ. That's why you don't see us offering an animal on this altar this morning. Jesus is the supreme sacrifice once and for all. So civil laws and ceremonial laws are done away with in Jesus Christ. That's where you find all that language in the New Testament that says we are no longer under the law. He, through his finished, accomplished work on Calvary, has done away with civil ceremonial law. That's why you can go ahead and eat the shrimp. You can go ahead and even have bacon for dinner tonight if you want. You can wear clothing of mixed fabric. You can touch pig skins if you should be into football. But that doesn't mean that you can commit adultery or murder or not honor your parents. That's why we still put up what we call the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are some of those laws that point us to the moral law of God. So yes, eat the shrimp, but please try to shy away from adultery. That's the moral law. The moral law still stands. Jesus Christ exhibited a perfect following of the moral law. We see in Jesus Christ what a perfect human being would look like, someone who follows the law of God perfectly and lives righteously, or just lives the right life. So... The moral law still stands, but what Paul is saying here is the moral law is good, the moral law displays for us the mind of God, but the moral law does not empower us to live it. The moral law might show us what it is we are to live, in what way we can live and define it as right living, but the moral law does not empower us to do that. So that's the human predicament. That's why we, we can see what it is that God wants, but we can't quite get there on a consistent basis. And I'll even say this, and make sure you hear what I'm saying because I don't want you to be confused. Even becoming a Christian doesn't bring the solution to the human predicament. As a matter of fact, when you come to Christ, when we come to Christ, we've, we are made more aware of the conflict between good and evil. We are made more aware of our struggle to be faithful Christ followers. When we come to Christ, it almost becomes more difficult to live in right ways. When we come to Christ, the closer we get to Christ, the more we understand the holiness of Christ, the more we understand that we don't reach that standard. So even coming to Christ will not solve the human predicament. Certainly willpower and trying harder and reading the right books and getting the correct knowledge will not solve the human predicament. Now, when you come to Christ, you've taken a step in the right direction. You have taken a step toward finding the cure for the human predicament. That's what Paul's talking about here. He has painted an amazing picture of what human nature looks like. And before you can understand Christian theology, you need to understand a little bit about Christian anthropology. What is human nature about? I'm always fascinated in this culture. People who will say, well, that's the way I was born. As if that is an excuse for anything. We know the Christian faith. We're called to be born again. And John Wesley was a powerful voice in the 18th century reminding the established church, you need to be born again. You might be in a pew every Sunday morning, but you need to be born again. You need to be born from above. You need to be born of the Spirit. So we can't just say, that's the way I was born, therefore it's an excuse for anything. In Christ, we are to be made over. In Christ, we're to be born again. We're to be made anew. We find a new life in Jesus Christ that really, really will conflict with the old life that is within us. And here in Paul's autobiographical section of chapter 7, you see him telling us very honestly his struggle. And his struggle is our struggle, if we're honest. But you also notice something, or I hope you notice something. I want to point something out to you. This is heavy-duty theology, so hang on for this. After chapter 7 of the book of Romans comes chapter 8. I paid a lot of money to Duke University to learn that. I'll give it to you for free. If you read chapter 7 and you see the human predicament, you see Paul's struggle, which is our struggle, he begins heading toward chapter 8. And by the way, these numbers are not put in by Paul. We put these numbers in about a thousand years ago just to help us navigate the Bible. So as Paul is making his way to what we call chapter 8, he says, you heard Eli read it, verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. When you look at chapter 7, I hope that you noticed there are 24 occurrences of the proper pronoun I. Paul says, I don't understand myself at all, for, I, I, for I, really, I, I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I, 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 24 times. That's part of the problem, where the focus is. It's Jesus Christ who takes us away from self-absorption to Christ-absorption. It's Jesus Christ who helps us to be more spirit-absorbed, become less less self-centered and become more God-centered, become less concerned about what we do and more focused upon what he does in us. That's why as you're making your way from the human predicament in chapter 7, you get to turn to chapter 8, and most Bibles will will give a heading to chapter 8 that says something like life in the Spirit. So for three weeks, Pastor Clark and I are going to talk about Romans chapter 8. If I were stranded on a desert island somewhere and could only have one chapter of sacred scripture, it would be Romans chapter 8. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at God's answer, God's solution, God's promise to us concerning how we overcome the human predicament. We can't educate ourselves out of it. We can't use our willpower to get out of it. We can't go after the latest fad or self-help, self-improvement courses to get out of it. We can't even have the right theology that will get us out of it. We have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ in such a way that it is a relationship with his Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is just the spirit of the living Jesus in our lives when you look at the book of Romans in the first seven chapters there's only four references to the Holy Spirit then you turn to what we call chapter eight and there's over 20 references in that one chapter to the Holy Spirit if you're trying to Just make a resolution to help you become a better person, it'll never work. It's a relationship to the Holy Spirit that allows us to access the life that the Holy Spirit wants to live through us. It comes as a gift but we have to desire it, we have to want it, we have to want God's way more than we want our way. So for three weeks we're going to be looking at what it means to really be in a relationship to Holy Spirit so that we can overcome our, our human natures with the gift of God's Holy Spirit residing in our lives. I hope that you'll be with us. I know it's July. Somebody, all of us are traveling in different ways. I hope that if you're not here, you can listen on our podcast, go to our website. We need to learn to live according to the Spirit of God, and walk in step with the Spirit. So, uh, together, we're going to learn how to overcome those parts of us, our natural parts that need to be overcome. Amen.